take out your Bible, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 4 through 10 as we go through verse by verse, through 1 Peter and now 2 Peter and into Jude. We value expository preaching going through verse by verse. This is not a feel-good message today as we go through, but it's an important message as we talk about the deliverance and destruction by the same God. The first half of this message is going to be very difficult as we talk about the wrath of God, but then we're going to talk about the compassionate love and mercy of God. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, but why do people get involved and follow false teachings? Well, one reason is people get worn down in their faith with trials, with tribulations, with setbacks, with the world around us uh, wearing us down, giving in to temptations. And they take, many people look for the quick fix or the shiny new truth instead of persevering with the truth they already know. Here's the story of one man who persevered with his dream and his belief through many difficulties and followed through to the end of his life. Do you know there are approximately 10 pieces of Lego sold for every person on earth each year? More than 75 billion of those little plastic bricks. And how many of you have walked on those and hurt your foot? Yes, because of those things. Well, if it wasn't for the perseverance of this man on the screen, Ole Kirk Christensen, is he up there? You got a picture? There we go. There he is. If it wasn't for him, a Danish toy maker, Ole Kirk Christensen, there wouldn't be any Legos to snap together. Christensen toiled away in Billund, Denmark for decades before creating Leg Got in his language, which means play well. His workshop was destroyed by fire two times. He faced bankruptcy. He had to deal with supply chain issues during a world war. And finally, in the late 1940s, he landed on the idea for self-locking plastic bricks. By the time Ole Kirk died in 1958, Lego was on the verge of being a household term because he named them Legos. Persevering in the challenges of work and life can be difficult. Staying true and faithful to God's word is a challenge at times. It can be difficult. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege of uh, sharing a dinner with people from WDLM with uh, Gary Chapman, the writer of Five Love Languages, on Friday night. And as he talked to us, he said, when the unexplained or the illogical things happen in a person's life, this is when a lot of people bail on their faith in God. And he knows he's been a counselor for over 50 years. Trials and tribulations either cement your faith, build character, draw us closer to God, or we jettison the truth for some other false truth or some other false reality in our world. In James 5, God promises wisdom for such times when we face trials and tribulations. And he asks us to trust him as he provides for what we need in James 1, 6. And through it all, when we allow him to help us persevere and mature in the faith, as we honor him with our lives, we find true blessing. In James 1.12, it says, those who persevere will receive a crown, a reward, because they've been faithful to God's word throughout their entire lives. Peter here is reassuring those who are believers living for the truth of the gospel, daily being persecuted for it, and paying the price, know that God will judge those who are leading others astray. There will be a payday of judgment for them in this life, but if not, certainly when they stand before him and are judged when they step into eternity. 
Let's take our Bibles, look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If you don't have one, it'll be up on the screen as well. But our scripture reading today says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chain of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment, if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, if God rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Verse 10, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, give me freedom and clarity. Help these words not be my words, but your words. Help us as we look into the word of God today that you would speak through me and use your words to bring conviction, encouragement, blessing, challenge. For each one of us in this room, you know exactly what our hearts need. And so through this message, you will touch hearts and minister. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I encourage you to take out your outline, and we look today at the balance of God's angry wrath and his compassionate love and mercy for his followers. God is perfect in all of his attributes, has a perfect balance of all these things. The first thing we see is the raging wrath of God on display. Raging, the raging wrath of God on display. Look at verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chain of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. The first thing we see are the degenerate angels. The words degenerate, degenerate angels. Notice there in verse 4, the words for if. If here means this is a conditional clause. Some translations use the since word here. God did not spare. He did not provide a way to escape judgment or they lost their salvation. Jesus did not die for the angels, but human beings. And false teachers, as Peter's making the comparison, just like fallen angels will suffer in eternity, separated from God in hell, in torture and torment. The story goes that Lucifer was the highest ranking angel in heaven that God created. Many people believe he was in charge of worship and his angels were his instruments to bring worship to the throne of God. And you can read the beautiful picture of Lucifer before he became Satan and fell. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, we don't have time to turn there today. But something happened. Pride crept into his heart. And it's interesting that God didn't judge him for some act that he did or something that he said, but for the very intent of his heart. In Isaiah 14, we see the prophet saying this, from God, how you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. 
Notice these five I wills that were in the heart of Lucifer. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. He wanted to supplant God. He wanted to take over the throne of God and control of the universe. Verse 15, but you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. God cast him out of heaven down to earth. And Satan and one third of his angels who rebelled with them were cast down out of heaven. I want you to remember and always think of this, that hell was not created for human beings. It was created for Satan and his fallen angels. Now humans who follow Satan knowingly or unknowingly end up there. They've rejected God and Jesus Christ. On Wednesday, it kind of broke my heart when I went to the Bettendorf Y and I walked into the weight room and there was a person there wearing a t-shirt and on the back of the t-shirt it said, going to hell with my friends. Looking forward to going to hell to be with my friends. And it kind of broke my heart because this person has no clue what hell is going to be like. Separated from God. Separated from your friends. Endless torture and torment. And knowing that you had the chance to receive the Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says that some of those angels that he sent down out of heaven are already confined to hell and will not be tried in future judgment, but sent directly into the lake of fire for eternity with Satan, with the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Their judgment is secure. There are some angels, and we often call them or think of them as demons, who are roaming the earth doing Satan's bidding. Satan can't be everywhere, so he sends his fallen angels, his demons around, and he's focused mainly on Christians to keep us from sharing the message of the gospel of Christ. We know Satan has been cast out of heaven because in Job 1, Satan comes to God after roaming the earth. In Job chapter 1, it says in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Now remember, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere like God. He's not omnipotent. He's not all powerful. He is merely God's unfaithful servant. Remember that. He's merely God's unfaithful servant. And God has a leash on how far Satan can go and how much evil and temptation he can bring to this world. Notice back in verse 4, Peter said, but, he will, but God will cast them into hell. That word hell, Greek word, Tartarus. It's a Greek word to use in mythology about a subterranean pit lower than hell itself. It was the abiding place or the home of the most wicked spirits in the universe. It's much like what Jesus said when he talked about hell. He used the word Gehenna in the New Testament. And Gehenna was a great description because he was referring to outside the walls of Jerusalem, the garbage dump for the city. It was continually burning and smoldering, and it was innoxious. The smell was terrible, and it was a reminder of what would continually be going on in this place called hell. Peter uses this common Greek word that his readers would know very well to get the point across. They knew exactly what Peter was talking about. 
And then it says in verse 4 that God committed them the chain of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. That word committed means to turn them over for imprisonment in the pits of hell and darkness. Chains show the loss of freedom because they're in a place of confinement. This was their fate, the demons feared. Take your Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I'm always astounded when people tell me that how can you really know that Jesus is the Son of God? How can you really know that he is deity, that he's an all-powerful equal with God? Well, I love this story because we read it, read this story we're going to read, but we always read it in a different light. We read it about how Jesus brought the demons out of the person and redeemed this person. That's great. But there's some things we can learn from the interaction with Jesus and the demons. Luke chapter 8, verse 28. Go down to verse 28. And when this demon-possessed man saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For many a time these spirits had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Now look at what Jesus says here in verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? Talking to the demon. He said, legion, meaning many, for many demons had entered him. Verse 31, notice what the demon says. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Stop there. They know the scriptures. They know where they're going to end up. They know that this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has the power and the authority to cast them into hell, and he will one day. Verse 32, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So Jesus gave them permission. Remember, he had to give permission. They have boundaries. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So folks... Satan and his demons, they know the word of God. They just don't accept it. They're out there rejecting it, pushing it away. In James 2.19, he said, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And why do they shudder? They know where they're going to spend eternity in hell, separated from God. Well, back to verse 4 in 2 Peter 2. Peter goes on to say that these demons... These fallen angels, along with false teachers, are to be kept until the judgment. Their sentence, already, their sentence has already been pronounced, and it's already upon them, and they're waiting for that final sentencing. And in Revelation 20, it says that Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist, and his fallen angels will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. A companion book to 2 Peter is Jude. And Jude puts it this way, he says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who do, did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change and under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, talking about homosexuality, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. 
The angels referred to here specifically in verse 4 and in Jude are the angels who most likely in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, possessed mortal wicked men and they cohabited with the daughters of men. And Jude is saying here they somehow left their boundaries and performed an egregious sin by carrying out gross immorality. The summary of this verse under this point, verse 4, is that God will severely judge those who oppose him and his truth. False teachers, he's saying, like fallen angels, will face the full anger and divine wrath of God. Peter goes on in verse 5 to use another example from Genesis, the depravity, the depravity of the entire world, the degenerate fallen angels, and now the depravity of the entire world, the sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, starting with in the garden when Eve ate of the fruit, gave it to Adam, and they ate of the fruit, and since then, the seed of sin has passed to all men. In verse 5 of 2 Peter 2, it says, If he, God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Peter turns now to the story of Noah and the worldwide cataclysmic flood. Humanity was multiplying, but was becoming more and more sinful and corrupt. In Genesis 6, verses 11 through 12, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 12, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Malcolm Muggeridge. Malcolm Muggeridge was an atheist, and he interviewed uh, Mother Teresa because he was a journalist. And because of his interview with that wonderful Catholic lady, Mother Teresa, he came to faith in Christ and renounced his atheism. And he said this, this is a great quote, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. What is he saying? Well, we can see that sin, the sin nature, can be objectively seen. All you gotta do is look at your own life, look in the mirror, open the newspaper, look on the internet to the news articles. We see what happens when sinful nature is unleashed. But he says the problem is we know it's there, but we reject it. We want to believe that it's not true. We want to blame something else. You see, these folks, they knew God, had reject, they, they knew God but rejected him. God told Noah of the coming judgment. He tasked Noah with the building of the ark. How many of you have ever been to the ark encounter? All right. I want to encourage you. Now, I'm not saying this is the Holy Land or anything, but I think everybody... <laughs> I think everybody in their lifetime should go see it in Williamstown, Kentucky. I mean, when I just got out of the car and saw it off in the distance, it was just breathtaking to see how big it was. Pictures, you know, how it's described in the Bible, don't do it justice. I encourage you to go and see it for yourself. So Noah and the worldwide flood, he talks about the flood there, cataclysma in our English language, a cataclysmic flood that was worldwide in nature, 40 days and 40 nights with torrential rains. God killed every land animal and every human being. The word ungodly there in verse 5 says, are those who have complete lack of reverence to God and lack of reverence for worship. They don't fear God, they despise him. 
The early church fathers used this Greek word for those who were atheists or heretics who were rebellious and immoral who brought God's judgment on themselves. Peter uses one more example in this section of scripture to emphasize the point of what false teachers and those who follow false teachings will face. The destruction due to sexual sin. The destruction due to sexual sin. We've talked about fallen angels. We talked about Noah and the worldwide flood. And now we're looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of what will happen in the future for false teachers. Sodom and Gomorrah were main cities of the Jordan Plain region. It was fertile. It was lush for a long time. This is near the southeast corner of the Dead Sea. It was fertile and an ideal place for raising crops and animals. So when Lot was offered by Abraham any land that he could choose, Lot chose to pitch his tent, it says, toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And he wanted these fertile lands for his livestock. Sodom and Gomorrah soon became a place of gross sin, big-time immorality, including homosexuality. That was the charge that God brought against them. And you remember in Genesis that Abraham begged God, begged God if there's 50 righteous people, it got it all the way down to 10 righteous people, that God would spare him, but it was to no avail. This is small in scale to the destruction that occurred in the worldwide flood. Lot allowed Sodom and Gomorrah to infiltrate his thinking and his heart, along with his wife and kids. Like Noah, only Lot's family was saved from the judgment. Now think about this. It was only 450 years during the time of Lot, 450 years ago, the flood had occurred. So ancestors would have probably passed down what had happened with that cataclysmic flood. And yet they turned away from God. It was interesting too, as you read the passage in Genesis, that the angels had to literally pull Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. His sons-in-law mocked him when Lot warned them of judgment. He had a very weak testimony. And Lot's wife, when told to run and not look back at the city, couldn't resist because the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, the world was in her heart. She looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Then after they were removed, fire and brimstone came down from heaven and all the people of these two towns were incinerated or asphyxiated. And today, no one can find the ruins of the city. Many think the Dead Sea has consumed the city under the banks of its sea. Notice in verse 6, it talks about extinction. That word means utter destruction, total ruin, covered in ashes. And it's interesting, as you read the Bible, 20 times this picture of Sodom and Gomorrah is used to warn people throughout the Bible. So don't take for granted God's patience and time allowing grace. It's true, he allowed 120 years while Noah was building the ark for people to repent and turn from their sins before judgment came. But be sure of this, judgment will come. So our application is this, our God is an all-powerful, holy God. Our God is all-powerful, holy God. Kendra Elledge is working with our kids in Awana to teach them music. And this week she was beginning to show them the hand motions 
and the words to our God is an awesome God. He is an awesome God. He's all-powerful. He's holy. Well, we see the angry wrath of God poured out on false teachers. Now we see the balance of that, the deliverance of God's people through God's passionate, compassionate love and mercy. We see, second of all, the redeeming mercy of God on display. We saw his wrath. Now we're going to see his redeeming mercy of God and how he displayed it. In 2 Peter, the second part of verse 5, but God preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others. We see the rescue of Noah. In verse 5 here, Noah is called a herald or a preacher of righteousness. In his, quote, spare, unquote time, when he wasn't building a boat, he would go and tell people of the coming judgment and that they needed to repent from their sins and turn to God and trust him. People must have thought he was out of his, their mind. He had never, they had never seen rain before. And what in the world, why was he building this humongous boat and telling us about rain when it's something we had no clue about? But you and I, we're in that condition today. The world population is growing. Secularism and other false religions are cropping up. This is the century of the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Pew Research in 2021 said this, that three in 10 U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. 30%. They consider themselves nuns. Self-identified Christians make up 63% of the population, down from 75% from 2011. There's a lot of false teachers out there, a lot of false teaching. I brought a few examples. These are all from, um, stem from Christianity. Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Science, Christian Science Reading Rooms, how you can use your mind to heal yourself of anything. I kept it, my dad at one time had the Book of Mormon. This is his old copy, the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith, tablets from Moroni, interpreted in a language that only he could get the interpretation of. And of course, we see the Mormons growing. And then my boss, my former boss, back in 1983, he was an elder in the Jehovah's Witness Church, gave me a copy of the New World Translation to share with us. And, and uh, uh, the, the, the Russell, who was the founder, reinterpreted the Greek language and wrote the scripture from the Jehovah's Witness vantage point. Now we Baptists, we're not, we're not, you know, we're part of this as well. One of my deacons at my last church gave me this book, and I don't know if any of you heard of this, The Baptist Bride, that only Baptists are going to get to heaven. And here's a chart in the back that shows from the apostles to today how it's just the Baptists. And my poor deacon found out when he went to heaven that he was there with Presbyterians, Catholics, Charismatics, and everything else. I never heard of that, the Baptist bride. So we see all kinds of false teachings stemming even out of Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. So we have to be careful. You and I, we see the population growing. We see wickedness, sin and evil growing like in the days of Noah. Lawlessness and violence abounded. And the believers ate in Noah's case they were in the minority, and God preserves and protects his people even if they are persecuted. In Matthew chapter 24, it says, but concerning that day and hour when Jesus said, when I'm supposed to return, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only knows the hour that I will return. 
Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. For in the end, God will judge those who reject the truth. What should our attitude toward those who have yet to come to Christ be? We need to be praying, praying that the blinders of their eyes will be removed and they can see the truth of the gospel that can transform their lives. We need to lovingly engage these people in a relationship that may lead to spiritual conversations. You might be the only Jesus or the only Christian or the only Bible that these people will ever see in their lifetime. I made people here in Scott County that have never encountered a Christian in some kind of a relationship. We're not talking about going to Africa. We're talking about right outside our doors here. 51% of our county does not go to church on a Sunday morning. We need to engage them. We need to serve and love people expecting nothing in return. We need to expose them to the gospel and the truth of scripture by your lifestyle, your values, and your words. But we cannot be like Lot. Lot compromised and allowed the world to infiltrate his life. We're to be in the world, Jesus said, but not of the world. We see next in verses 7 through 9 of 2 Peter, the reluctant rescue of Lot. The reluctant rescue of Lot. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it says in verse 7, if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. As I said in Genesis, you can read the story, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He chose the best land out of selfishness when he was offered a choice by Abraham. Lot was tormented, as his verses say here, by his worldly and utterly sensual surroundings. But yet he chose to stay in Sodom and Gomorrah. He hated the sin, but he wouldn't leave the sin that was all around him. It says there in verse 7, sensual conduct, outrageous, outrageous sexual behavior, wicked, unprincipled, unrestrained, lawless standards that violate their conscience and the commands of God. He was tormented in his soul, meaning greatly distressed, oppressed in his soul, troubled in his soul at the activity around him. It says lawless deeds there. Now, it's interesting. We didn't even have the Mosaic law at that point when Lot was alive. The meaning here is that these people acted contrary to their consciences and human nature by acting out their homosexual desires. He exposed himself to ungodly things, and it made his testimony weak among his family and the people when it came to the matters of faith. Think about when the angels came, Lot offered his own daughters when the men of Sodom and Gomorrah came wanting him to send these guests, these angels out to them. Lot hesitated to leave Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels told him it was time to leave and they had to pull him out. And as we said, Lot's wife became a pillar of salt because she couldn't bear not looking back at the world that she so loved in Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that all this take place in Genesis. And then it says in verses 30 and 35 of Genesis 13 that Lot got drunk and committed incest. Yet Peter's saying here that Lot was a witness for God in these cities and God rescued Lot and his family before destruction came. Peter calls Lot righteous. He had faith just like Abraham. They both were given God's righteousness in their heart as a gift of salvation. In Genesis 15, 6, it says that he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
Romans 4, 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Notice what Psalm 24 says when he talks about being righteous. And it's God who gives us that righteousness. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. That person will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It's important to note that Abraham, like Lot, did sinful things as well. You remember he ran ahead of God and uh, he didn't wait for the promised one, Isaac, to come. Sarah said, you need to, you know, uh, sleep with Hagar. And of course, Ishmael was born, but that wasn't God's will. The promised one would come when he was 100 years old under Isaac. The point is that we as Christians, we sin and we receive forgiveness. But let's learn from these examples Peter is giving us with the angels, Noah and Lot. God judges sin if we don't confess it and get it under the blood of Jesus Christ. For the lost person, unconfessed sin will bring separation from God for all eternity. For the believer, if we don't confess our sin, then we uh, lose out on the quality of relationship that God wants us to have with him. In this area of teaching, for us as believers, we need to take our teaching very seriously and dig deep into God's word for truth. Make sure as a teacher you study the context of the passage. Study the meaning of the passage. Study the teaching of the passage and how it applies to our lives. Don't ever shortchange your study because this is God's truth. In Jeremiah 3.1 it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For the sake of time, let's jump to the last point as we close today. The response of God and balance of wrath and mercy. I'll give you that blank and we'll come back to it next week. Our response of God and balance of wrath and mercy. And let's go to our application Our application is this. Our God is full of grace and mercy to those who come to him and follow him on his terms. See, Christianity, it is exclusive because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But it also is inclusive of anybody. For God so loved the world that whoever believes on him can have eternal life. It's exclusive but inclusive. We have to come to God on his terms. And we have to understand his grace and his mercy. Our key thought here today as we close is that we underestimate, you and I do, to our personal peril, the wrath and the mercy of God. There's going to be accounting for all of our lives, those that God created on planet Earth. For the believer, it'll be standing before the judgment seat of Christ and receiving rewards or losing things because we did not faithfully serve him like we should. But we get there because of the mercy and the grace of God. The unbeliever faces separation from God eternally in a place called hell. Let me close with this promise and then we'll pray. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, here's a great, great promise to encourage you today as we go. For God has not destined us for wrath, believers, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He hasn't appointed us to wrath. We're going to go through trials, tribulations, difficulties. 
We're going to go through persecution. Some believers are going to be martyred for their faith. But ultimately, we're going to be in heaven with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who willingly died on the cross. And we'll see those nail marks and those feet marks for eternity to remind us of the price that he paid. Help us to be faithful, to persevere, to stay true to the word and to look at teachings in light of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this picture today. As we said, you're an awesome God. You're holy. You're all-powerful. You're all-knowing. Lord, you're everywhere. And Lord, we just pray today that you would help us to understand that. We pray for those that are false teachers or those who are following false teachings, false realities. And they're not even religious things in our world anymore. There's so many things that you can get caught up with and give your life to that we know end in death, as Proverbs says. We pray that you would help us to be the light to them, that your Holy Spirit would illumine them and help them to see the truth of the gospel, to transform their lives so they don't continue down the wide path that leads to destruction, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. But narrow is the way, your way, to follow you into an abundant life in this earth, a purposeful life in this earth, but ultimately eternity in heaven with you. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.